In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I welcome you to the First Baptist Church of Oregon City Worship Podcast. Out of a desire to love our neighbor and care for the most vulnerable among us and protect each other from this awful virus that is ravaging our city, our state, our nation, and our world, we are continuing to suspend in-person worship for the time being and instead are worshiping via podcast. Today is a special day. It is Christ the King Sunday. And Christ the King Sunday is, is not one of the, the main holy days that we usually think of in the church, but it is the, the last day of what we might call the church calendar or the Christian year. It's the last Sunday of that, um, because next week is the beginning of Advent, which as hard to believe as that is, it's coming around. But Christ the King Sunday recognizes Jesus as Lord, not just Lord over heaven, but Lord over earth. It recognizes the crucified, resurrected, and ascended reign of our Lord Jesus Christ and the realization that through his rule right now over humanity, that all of the promises of the kingdom are coming true. And even though there are parts of, the, parts of our world, of our society, that do not recognize the lordship of Christ, that Jesus reigns nonetheless, and we are his people who recognize the reality of Christ's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so as we go through worship today, we go through in recognition that Jesus is Lord, that there is no place that Jesus is not Lord. So even though we are not physically together for worship, Jesus is still Lord. This is also the beginning of Thanksgiving week, and although it will look a little different in our world this year than it has in years past, we, we still give thanks for all of the wonderful things that God has given us. A couple of notes for you this week. Uh, if you are listening to this before 11.30 a.m. on the 22nd of November, 2020, in the Pacific time zone, for our Zoom coffee hour today, we are doing something called the Pi Socially Distanced. Normally, this would be the Sunday that we would have our pie social, a, an extravagant gala event <laughs> where, where we bring pies and we sample each other's pies. But today, we are going to meet on Zoom at 11.30 in our Zoom coffee hour and sit on Zoom and eat pie together. You can make a sweet pie, you know, such as a, a fruit pie, like an apple pie or, or a cherry pie. You could make a pumpkin pie. Uh, you could make a savory pie. You could make a, a beef and ale pie. You could make a microwave a chicken pot pie from the convenience store. It's all up to you. You don't have to be fancy about it. Just bring a pie, get onto Zoom. Um, if you do not have the Zoom login information, the, the login information is in your Friday email. If you don't have that information, make sure you email the church baptist.church at comcast.net, and we will send it to you so you can eat pie with the rest of us. On the 24th of November, there is going to be a community Thanksgiving Zoom. Uh, the churches in our 
uh, our, our immediate vicinity kind of on our block uh, have decided to get together and do a, uh, a Zoom worship service. There's going to be a lot of scripture reading, a lot of prayer, and uh, the pastor of First Baptist Church, Pastor John Witham, uh, will be delivering the message. So there's that. And then afterwards, if you want to stick around, there is going to be another pie social so you can eat the leftovers that you had from Sunday. And one last note is we are trying to organize a cookie exchange. Uh, if you would like to send your recipe to the church so that we can pull them together and send them out to people, everybody's got a special cookie recipe for this time of year, something that's been passed down from their, their mother and their mother's mother and their mother's mother's mother going all the way back to you know, time immemorial. And so if you would like to share that recipe with the rest of us, email it to the church office, please, by the 30th of November, uh, so we can send those out to everybody else. And we will be sending out information about a Zoom where we will eat those cookies together. We pray that you are well. We pray that you are living in the glorious, beautiful, peaceful lordship of Christ, that no matter what else is going on in your life, that you can recognize that Jesus is Lord and that whatever we're going through is not. Let's bow our heads in prayer. On Thursday of this week is Thanksgiving Day, a day that is set aside in which we give thanks for all that we have. And we as Christians, we give thanks to the one who has made it all possible for us. So my prayer today is going to be a specific Thanksgiving prayer. So Heavenly Father, in your word you have said, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we come before you today not to ask for anything, but humbly giving thanks for all you have done for us. We appreciate you, O oh Father, for sending your Son to die on that old rugged cross to redeem us of our sins. Thank you, my Lord Jesus, for enduring so much pain and suffering for our salvation. We pray that we will be blessed with the same kind of strength to endure life for your sake. We give thanks for health, strength, grace, forgiveness, peace, joy for loving us unconditionally and never failing us. We thank you for every blessing and also for every trial, for they shape us into who we are meant to be and who you want us to be. Thank you for new mercies and blessings each and every day. We thank you for wonderful families, spouses, food on the table, and roofs over our heads. We gratefully give thanks to all, for all, you have done, Messiah, as well as all you are going to do in our lives. In Jesus' name. O Lord, our God, who supplies us with countless blessings, lift up our hearts in gratitude and thanksgiving. Help us to remember the gifts we seldom notice, the abundance we take for granted, the rich possibilities you provide for our daily bread, for water that is pure, for houses to live in and friends to enjoy 
we give you humble thanks. For beauty and fruitfulness, for healing and hope, for the comfort of your presence, we lift our voices in joyful praise now and always. Heavenly Father, who has filled the world with beauty, open my eyes to behold your gracious hand in all your work. That rejoicing in your whole creation, I may learn to serve you with gladness, faithfully managing your bounty. For the sake of him by whom all things were made, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my life and everything you have bestowed upon me and upon all people. This day and every day, the understanding of forgiveness and your holy power without which we would have nothing. I thank you this day for all your blessings, your gifts, your never-ending love for us. Although we are sinners, I ask you to forgive us every day for what I might have done wrong that I might not have noticed. Even though we all come short of the glory of God, I thank you for the sacrifice of your only Son, Jesus Christ, for all our sins. You and only you know us, Father, and you know if our hearts are true. So once again, I thank you with all my heart and soul. I pray all of this in the mighty name of my Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Joshua, chapter 24, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 3, and then 14 through 25. And there is a kind of famous verse that is contained in this passage that you'll hear and might sound familiar, but we're going to look at uh, a little bit broader scope than just that one verse. But here is Joshua, chapter 24, verses 1 through 3, 
and 14 through 25, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, including their elders, leaders, judges, and officers. So they came and presented themselves to God. Joshua said to the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. But I took your ancestor Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him into the land of Canaan. I gave him many descendants through his son Isaac. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live now? But as for me and my family, we'll serve the Lord. The people replied, We would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods, for the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. As we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies, he preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord, for he alone is our God. Then Joshua warned the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy and jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, he will turn against you and destroy you, even though he's been so good to you. But the people answered Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. You are a witness to your own decision, Joshua said. You have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, they replied, we are witnesses to what we have said. All right then, Joshua said, destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem, committing them to follow the decrees and regulations of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To begin today, I would like to read a passage of a book to you. Uh, The book is called The Very Good Gospel by Lisa Sharon Harper. And at the beginning of chapter 2, she summarizes the Babylonian creation myth called the Enuma Elish. And she summarizes it like this. In the beginning, two divine beings ruled, Apsu, the fresh waters, and his wife, Tiamat, the salty waters. The two swirled together and the waters became one. And within their waters, demons, monsters, and gods were birthed. Violence, death, and chaos ruled the surging waters as Apsu and Tiamat's progeny warred against one another. Apsu and Tiamat plotted to kill their children so that peace might be restored, but their great-grandson Ea rose up and killed Apsu. Spitting rage and vengeance, Tiamat created eleven monsters to help her win the battle against her descendants. Tiamat's new lover, the god Kingu, led her army and her progeny were terrified. Then Ea's son, the storm god Marduk, rose up and promised to defeat her on one condition. If he prevailed, he would reign supreme. He won. In his first act of supremacy, Marduk split Tiamat in two. 
Her ribs became the dome of the sky and the soil of the earth. Her pierced eyes became the source of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, and her tail became the Milky Way. Then Marduk took the blood of Kingu, mixed it with the red clay of the earth, and made humankind to serve the gods forever. This is a rival creation story to the one that we read in Genesis chapter 1. And when you hear this story, there's a, there's a few words that stand out to you, and there's, there's a few uh, ideas that stand out to you as well. Um, chaos, violence, death, vengeance, rage, all of these are contained within the backstory of the Babylonians. And the Babylonians aren't alone in having uh, kind of violent backstories. Um, nearly every ancient mythology that you can think of has a violent backstory, whether it's the Greeks and their Olympian gods uh, who warred against the Titans uh, and fought against each other for control on Olympus, uh, to the, the Roman uh, story of Romulus and Remus in the establishment of Rome, uh, to the Egyptian gods, at nearly every ancient mythology that you, you might have read in school or might enjoy reading now, um, has a backstory that contains some sort of, of violence. And backstories matter because when we, when we know the backstory of, of a group of people, of where someone has come from, we can kind of figure out what their values are. And when we, when we see uh, and read this, uh, and again, it's a, it's a summary, and, and the, the whole thing, the Enuma Elish, is much longer and, and more literary. But when we, when we hear in this, uh, even in this compact summary, we can see that there, there are things that are in this backstory that play out in real life. The Babylonians were great conquerors. But the Babylonians also were, were known for their, their cruelty. And um, we, we see that because when, when you have a creation story that began with uh, one god being cut into pieces and, and the different pieces of this, this god being uh, used for creation and the blood of another god being used to create humanity as slaves, then you, you have violence that comes from this violent story, we start to see people who think they have the permission of the old gods to be violent and rageful and vengeful and angry and destructive. And if people are made as slaves and you are serving the old gods, then you can turn people into slaves as well. And this is what we get from this particular backstory. When we encounter the Israelites in the passage that we read today, we see that they are living amongst peoples of the old gods. They are living amongst peoples with complicated backstories, with dangerous ideas about the world, with, uh, that are living in the thick of the brokenness and the disobedience, um, sometimes in ways writ large. We know in that area that the Israelites were in at this point. There were people who practiced child sacrifice. There were people who uh, did all sorts of terrible things in the name of their God. And 
and here are the Israelites. And Joshua has led them as far as he can go. He is, uh, by the end of chapter 24, going to uh, be dead and buried. And he is making one last appeal to these people because he has been with them through all of this. He started off uh, under the uh, guidance of Moses. Uh, Moses was not able to cross into the promised land. Joshua was. Joshua continued leading the people. Uh, and he has led them to this point, And now he has to make sure that they are going to start off on life in this new land uh, on the right foot. And so he lays it all out for them. And he says, you need to choose who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the old gods or are you going to serve the God that you know, the living God? And he points out a couple of interesting things. One is that God called Abraham from beyond the Euphrates River and his first word to Abraham is go. He, he makes himself known to Abraham and says, Abraham, go. And Abraham goes and has faith that God is going to lead him. And this is when Abraham begins trusting Yahweh the, instead of the old gods. And now they, have, they had ended up in Egypt and, and were tempted by the Egyptian gods. And were, were they going to follow God or were they going to follow the Egyptian gods? Because they were surrounded by it. They would have known the, the Egyptian stories and the Egyptian mythology, and they would have, have seen the Egyptians practicing their, their worship of their gods. And now they're in this new land, and again, the old gods are still here. And, and I think that's an interesting uh, message for us today, is from Abraham's time all the way up till now, the old gods never really go away. The old gods never disappear, they just take different forms, they just take different narratives, but they always set themselves up as an alternative to the true and living God that we know through Jesus Christ. God is like Jesus. When we look at Jesus, we see God. And God has always been like Jesus. Um, a, a Christian author named Brian Zahn put this together. Um, he said, he once wrote, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. We haven't always known this, but now we do, that God is like Jesus. And the Gospels attest to this. Um, in, in the book of John, we say, we, we see John saying that um, no one has seen God, but people have seen Jesus, so they have seen God. And Paul says in Colossians that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. But one of the main temptations of the old gods is that people make them out to seem more real than the true and living God who loves and cares for us. When we encounter Jesus, we encounter God made flesh, God born as one of us, 
God living and alive and breathing and eventually bleeding and dying and living again. Because God became human in the form of Jesus Christ. And as we, we look at the old gods and we look at the influence that they still have in our world, we also can look to Jesus as the true victor over the old gods. Because there's, there's a few things that the old gods kind of always try to push onto humanity, and Jesus defeats every last one of them, which is how we can say that Christ is the true victor over the old gods. One of the lies of the old gods is that power must be obtained and reinforced at any cost, even if that cost is violence and death. And Christ defeated this on the cross. Between the Roman powers of Pontius Pilate um, and the Jewish religious leaders who were looking for a very different kind of uh, Messiah than Jesus, um, they, they conspired together to kill Jesus. When Pilate is talking to Jesus moments before his crucifixion, Pilate looks at Jesus and says, don't you know that I have the power to kill you? Because that's what the old gods think. The old gods think that if they can just put a sword through you, problem solved. And that they can get their power by putting more swords through more people than the other guys. And this is the way that the old gods work. But it's not the way that Jesus works. Because when we see all of this violence, and we, when we remember back to the, the story of Marduk and, and the, the awful, violent, rageful creation story, Jesus takes that violence and our military violence and, and our desire to conquest that we, we get from the old gods, and, and he takes it all into himself and he puts it to death. That's what happens in the crucifixion. It is the defeat of the idea of all-conquering and all-encompassing violence. Another one of the values of the old gods is self-preservation at any cost. And Jesus overcomes this through the resurrection. You, you can't allow yourself to be killed if you don't have faith that you're going to be resurrected. And Jesus had faith in the power of God that God was going to raise him from the dead. An author once wrote that God is the person who raised Jesus from the dead having first brought Israel out of Egypt. Jesus died with the faith and trust that God would raise him from the dead. His final words, it is finished into your hands. I commit my spirit. It is finished. Jesus has trust in God. This is not an act of self-preservation, but the resurrection validates that trust that Jesus has in God. 
And by being raised from the dead, it shows that victory is not found in violence or cruelty or revenge or rage, but victory is found in putting our whole faith and hope in the God who raises people from the dead. Another lie from the old gods is a singular obsession with maintaining power. And we see this with the Romans and and Paul's travels in Rome because almost everywhere you turn around, the Romans have some people there. Um, They did a very good job at setting up uh, garrisons and uh, colonies and places where they could uh, they could enforce their their Roman business from, and they could uh, collect their Roman taxes from, and they they did everything they could to to be spread out as far across the the known world uh, as they were able to conquer uh, and claim that all in uh, in the name of Rome. Of course, you know having killed uh, enough people to get them to submit to them. But Jesus, having been crucified, resurrected, Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father with all authority in heaven and on earth being given to to him. We hear about this in Matthew chapter 28. All authority in heaven and on earth. And if Jesus weren't in possession of all authority, if Jesus were not all-powerful at this point, then he would have needed to hang around here to maintain his power and authority. But instead, Jesus rules from heaven. Because if Jesus rules from heaven, Jesus can be everywhere on earth. There is nowhere on earth that is outside the lordship of Christ. Jesus has broken the backs of the old gods and the ascension is his claim of ultimate authority because anywhere we go is within the presence of Christ and Jesus is Lord. So now we go back knowing that Jesus has has been crucified and has put to death the, the violence and the vengeance of the old gods, and that Jesus has been resurrected to show that self-preservation doesn't come through vengeance, but through trust in God. And he has ascended to show that he is Lord over heaven and earth. And we go back and we look at this passage from Joshua again. We go back and we look at Joshua and the Israelites trying to decide who are they going to serve in this new land that they live in. Are they going to serve the old gods? Are they going to serve the gods who have kind of always been hanging around? Or are they going to serve the living God who brought these people, uh, the ancestors of these people, uh, out of Egypt? And the same question is posed to us today. Because Jesus is Lord... And Jesus' kingdom is reigning and active and alive now. But there's also, clearly, uh, an element of Jesus' kingdom that has not yet come to fulfillment. 
when Jesus re- returns and establishes the fullness of his kingdom, the reign of God, the direct rule of God on earth and transforms this good creation into a new heaven and a new earth, that's when we'll see the fullness of, king- of the kingdom. Jesus is king now, and we will see the fullness of Jesus' kingdom later. But that doesn't mean that the old gods are willing to give up without a fight. Because they are doing anything they can to live in defiance of the reign and rule of Jesus. And unfortunately, sometimes we as followers of Jesus, as God's people, as God's family, go along with it. Sometimes God's people try to snatch worldly power for ourselves rather than trusting in the power of God. And admittedly, it's, it's because worldly power is easy to see and hold on to, easier to see and hold on to sometimes. Um, the, the temptation of idolatry in the Old Testament was uh, that they were walking around saying that they were worshiping this God, Yahweh. Well, well where is the image of this God? Well, he, he doesn't have an image. We're not to make an image of him. Well, these people over here have an image that they're worshiping. And it was easier to say, okay, well, we're going to go worship this thing that we can see than this thing that we can't see, this God that we can't see. But God had led them out of Egypt. God had rescued them and freed them and brought them into this place. And Jesus has been crucified, resurrected, ascended, and is reigning. But sometimes followers of Jesus still snatch at worldly power, and we still go along with worldly power. We still give our thumbs up and seals of approval to people who we should not be applauding. We, we give our, our allegiance and our loyalty to people who desperately cling for, the, for power uh, with, with whatever awful and terrible words and actions and, and deeds they can muster. Because we, we think that by having worldly power, we, we might somehow enforce the ways of, of God. I don't know if this is what, what people are thinking, but it's the way it seems to me sometimes. And it makes me sad. Because if we want to follow the ways of Jesus, we have to realize that we serve a king that is more powerful than any government on the face of the earth, that we serve a Lord who is present everywhere we go, and that we are citizens of a kingdom that has no end, but yet sometimes we trade that, or want to trade that, or are tempted to trade that for earthly power. Sometimes we give up truth for lies and people who tell lies and people who rant angry lies and people who, who speak destruction and enact destruction and tear down the good image of God in the world. But if we really take the Lordship of Jesus seriously and if we choose for ourselves the living, ascended, reigning Jesus 
instead of whatever contemporary version of the old gods is, is being kicked around, if we choose this, we are living now in a kingdom that has no end, a kingdom that will see its fulfillment someday. And the things that we have done in the name of this kingdom, the things that we have done to bring the healing and restoration and goodness of God to, to visible fulfillment in this earth, those th things will stand. Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians chap chapter 15 that our labors for the Lord are not in vain. So when we live into the kingdom of Jesus, when we have our first and, and wholehearted allegiance with the Lamb, the crucified, risen, and ascended Jesus, when we do that, we can build for this kingdom of love and peace and joy, knowing that what we do in the name of Jesus and the things that we do in Jesus' name will last. When we feed the hungry, when we bring clothes to the naked, when we welcome the immigrant, when we have compassion on the downtrodden, when we do what we need to to stay home and stop the spread of COVID, we are doing things that bring life into the world. We are doing things that bring God's goodness into the world. Because we're following in the ways of Jesus and forsaking the ways of the old gods. During the communion service that we, we do on the first and third Sundays uh, of the month, I always say these lines, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ is coming again, because they're good and they're true, because we belong to Jesus and not the old gods. Jesus is Lord and not the old gods. So I have a question for you. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Are you going to choose the gods of, of violence and, and vengeance and power and, and a worldly kingdom that chews people up and spits people out? Or are you going to follow the living Jesus whose kingdom has no end who doesn't have to clamor and grab violently for power because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto him. Because that's the God that I serve. That's the God that I try every day to serve. And some days I do better than others. And sometimes God's people do better than others. But if we as God's people in this land on this earth that God created, choose to follow Jesus, then we are living out the ways of Jesus on earth as it is in heaven, and we give the whole earth a glimpse of God's glory to come in the present. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. 
The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. Through Christ, though Christ was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. There they nailed Jesus to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. So God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation for through him God created all things in the heavenly realms and on earth. Acknowledge that Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. 
And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. This This is is the the word of the Lord. Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. Let's pray together. Almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things in your well-beloved Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We thank you for joining us for worship this morning. We pray that the presence of King Jesus has been known to you through song, through prayer, and through the word of God proclaimed. And we pray that if there is anything you need, anything you lack, if you need encouragement, if you need help, please get in touch with the church so that we can reach out to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ.
I'd like to thank Melissa Mellinger, our Director of Worship and Youth, for leading us in song. I'd like to thank Jeannie Vance for our prelude, which was We Gather Together and Come Ye Thankful. I'd like to thank Jim Leatherman, our church moderator, for leading us in prayer. I'd like to thank Katie Witham for leading the First Baptist Church readers. And I'd like to thank our audio engineers, Gary and Doreen Hunley, for making everything sound good. And remember, love God, love your neighbor, wear your mask, and wash your hands.